Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, John, the Zayas are blooming, and we are gearing up for the Masters, the big the big tournament. Yeah, we have a lot of pollen, too. That's the other thing, this time of the year. Yeah, right? it's starting to die down, though. I think the bit. rain's going to wash it away here this weekend, and I think, you know, I think it's we're getting that past us. You got a prediction? For the Masters? Yeah. Oh, uh, no, I don't. Well, I, I think Tiger's going to show up. Yeah, I think he's going to show up, you know. I think he's playing good golf, so that'll be exciting just to have him in the mix, but... um Gee whiz, I don't know. I'd love to see Kevin Kisner. Yeah, that would be great. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rory's playing great golf this year. He so, is. Um, he'll probably be up there. But yeah, great time of the year. It really is. It really is. And speaking of great time, we have a great show lined up for today. And, you know, we're going to start off talking about five tips for better investing, John, because, you know, we, we talk about investing a lot on here, but um, there are some things that... That people, potholes, people kind of fall into traps, old traps, if you will. Um, kind of like so golfing. Sometimes you hit it in the trap. Sometimes you get in the bunker. Stay so the we're bunker. going to teach you how to stay out of the bunker when it comes to investing. Yeah, and then we're going to follow up with uh, a conversation about retiring um, on a million dollars. That's always kind of been a, a goal of a lot of folks that we work with. And um, Chris Hogan does a great job kind of discussing that. And can you live on a million dollars? Depends. There's some some factors and circumstances that will allow you to do that and some that won't. So we'll dive into that. Yeah, that'll be a good one. By the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro with over uh, 24 years experience providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis, also a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro. I have an MBA in finance and been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 25 years. We're excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every Friday afternoon. Yeah, check out our website, moneymd.net. We have a link to the podcast, a bunch of videos, tools, calculators uh, sitting out there, Facebook page, uh, Twitter handle as well. So a lot of lot of different avenues to get to the Money Doctors. A lot of ways to listen to us. And also check us out on our website, moneymd.net, where you can link to us there. And send us questions. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us directly also at info at moneymd.net. Well, John, we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this is more of a, a master's trivia a little bit. And, uh, you know, in the theme of uh, the season we're in around the, the CSRA. But back in 1934 is when the inaugural master's tournament uh, occurred. And the Augusta National had hoped to become a host venue of the U.S. Open. But that request was denied. They said no. Big mistake. Wow, big mistake. So they started their own tournament, and the rest is history. Yeah, it's been quite a legacy that Bobby Jones created here in 1934, um, and now it's expanding, right? we got the Women's Amateur Championship. That's uh, going to be there as well. So yeah, that's right. And they have the exciting. chip, chip and putt for the young youngsters. Drive chip and putt. <clears throat> They've yeah. really opened it up, which is kind of cool. I like uh, you know expanding it. It's uh, been it's so hard to get in there that they've kind of opened the gates a little bit. Yeah, and it's easier to see some event there now. You to get in and, and see some things going on. So that that's exciting. It really is. What a great history. Looking forward to Masters Week coming right up here. Um, and that leads us to our first topic, and that is. Five tips for better investing. This is uh, based on an article from Nerd Wallet, very recently. And um, you know, John, I mean, investing in the stock market it really isn't hard, 
but it's avoiding the investment disasters <clears throat> that lie in many of the dark corners out there in the investing world that is very challenging. Um, so it's easy to think, you know, the whole process is easy when the stock market's doing well and everything's gaining. But once markets get turbulent, you know, then nothing seems to work. And that's why you have to have a disciplined strategy to guide your decisions along the way and help you make some smart decisions. Um, and discipline and patience is something most people don't have, which is why you need a plan and you need a strategy to avoid falling into those bunkers and potholes that we just talked about, you know, on the road to your investment success. So the first tip here is you need to you need to think about this, and that is you need to check your emotions at the door when it comes to investing. Mm, that's tough. It is very hard to do. You know, success in investing doesn't correlate with IQ. I mean, what you need is the temperament to control the urges that get other people into trouble with investing. That's the wisdom from Warren Buffett, um, chairman of Berkshire Hathaway. And, um, you know, he's often quoted, you know, in saying those types of things when it comes to investing. But what he's saying is you got to leave your emotions out of it. Yeah. I mean, Buffett's referring to investors who let their heads, you know, drive the investing decisions. And in fact, trading overactivity triggered by emotions is one of the most common ways investors can really kill their returns. And then as, as a result, their retirement plan and uh, the other way is trying to time the market. Instead of you know trying to do that, you need a disciplined st- strategy which you know guides your investment decisions, regardless of what the market's doing. And that strategy should be based on you know asset allocation, being uh, you know well diversified. And uh, regardless of how you invest, your emotions need to stay out of that decision making process. And if the words gut feel are part of your process, and you need to rethink your strategy. You know, one of the things we preach around here is markets are down about 25% of the time. So when they are down, what are you doing? You know, and you should typically be buying because they've always come back up. Yeah. And you got to have a disciplined strategy for that. You know, you can't just base it on your, what you feel, what your gut feel is for the day of whether or not you're, you're buying or putting money in or taking money out. Um, But tip number two here is you need to pick asset classes, not stocks. You know, it's easy to get caught up in the excitement of the most recent trend in hot stocks that are being touted by the likes of CNBC every day in the financial media. But remember that the financial media is in the entertainment business. And despite the logic behind their picks and, and what they say to do, you know, their goal really is to sensationalize every story for maximum ratings. So don't let the allure of stock picking, um market timing become your basis for your investment strategy. Instead, you need to have a disciplined approach um, and you need to determine which asset classes make sense in your portfolio and at what risk level. Then you need to build a portfolio with mutual funds or ETFs that are designed to capture asset class returns. So in other words, forget stock picking or even the, the sectors of stocks. Instead, you need to study long-term returns, um, or if you do study long-term returns, what you're going to find is that there are certain asset classes like small value stocks that have given the highest returns over long periods of time and have greatly outperformed the S&P 500. So you need to focus on having the right mix of asset classes in your portfolios 
um, to maximize your returns at whatever risk level you're comfortable with. That's the first key. Yeah, and a- another um, you know tip here is uh, to to plan ahead for for you know panicky times. I mean, all investors are sometimes tempted to change their portfolio as a reaction to the latest news or how the market did, you know, yesterday or last month. But by you know making these heat of the moment decisions. It can lead you to the classic classic investing mistake of you know buying high and selling low. That's exactly opposite of what you should be doing. Instead, make a plan on how you're going to react when the markets get dicey, and maybe you'll um, simply ignore your portfolio and not look um, at it when the markets are down and, and your you know portfolio is is getting hammered. You know, as bad as it sounds to ignore your portfolio, sometimes you know that's the right decision in order to manage your emotions. Yeah, that's exactly right. You need a strategy for managing your emotions. And, you know, once you've already decided not to make a move in a down market or as a result of any market movement, then simply distracting yourself from the bad news of the day can be a very effective strategy. I mean, after all, why depress yourself when you know the right decision is to stay the course? So, you know, another strategy, though, is to turn a negative into a positive by planning to add money when markets are down. Um, if you're in the mode of accumulating assets and you routinely have money to invest, then perhaps you keep some of that back for the next down market. And, you know, I mean, that way, instead of getting depressed or panicky when markets are down, you might actually get excited that, you know, there's a great buy out there and you have money that you can purchase funds at a big discount. Um, I usually look for like a 5% pullback in the market to add more money to my accounts. Historically, that kind of Drop happens about three times a year, um, and I find that for me personally, it's a good interval to, to scrape up some money and add it to my accounts. So, you know, that can be a good way to distract yourself from down markets as well and a good strategy to help you long term. Um, the next tip here, though, is don't base your future, the future on the recent past. Um, we all have this natural tendency to project the recent past into the future and assume that the next year or two is going to be more of the same that we've seen recently. Um, this is called hindsight bias, and it's it's actually a studied phenomenon, you mm-hmm. know, that, that people tend to do. Um, however, those statistics in history shows that the recent past with the stock market has no bearing on the future. In fact, the opposite is actually true. Um, When markets have been poor for a while, the tendency is for them to perform better going forward due to the valuations being more attractive. But likewise, asset classes that have been out of favor for a while have a slight tendency to do better than average going forward. But keep in mind that there's still no reason to time the market or an asset class. I mean, the fact is these trends are very slight and they're not strong enough to trade on for any significant advantage. So instead, you need to focus on, don't focus on the recent past, but look back at long-term trends and history, determine which asset classes, where to invest your money. I mean, for instance, we know long-term history says that the stock market has returned more than fixed income, and fixed income has hardly beaten inflation over time. I mean, those are fundamental truths to investing that you can apply to your strategy. Um, So it would be silly to assume that fixed income is now going to be a better place to invest simply because it did better than stocks, you know, in the past quarter. Um, The same is true for other asset classes. So ignore the recent trends and focus on the long-term history. 
value, small stocks, and profitability stocks are the three dimensions of higher return that have been proven in the stock market over long periods of time. So you need to build a strategy, you know, based on those types of academic truths. Yeah, and the last uh, tip here is avoid overactive trading. I mean, trading in general will hurt your returns because it costs money. And uh, the tendency is to be out of the market <clears throat> at certain times. So you're trying to time the market. So when it comes to investing, you want to make sure you uh, avoid overactive trading. Yeah, you want to buy into a, a well-diversified portfolio, do some rebalancing periodically, maybe quarterly, um, to stay in that allocation. Uh, avoid changing you know, your risk levels very often or moving investments in and out of positions. So if you're trading at any high frequency, then you have to ask yourself why. I mean, the true answer usually involves market timing, uh, which we all know is not healthy for your future. And the only reason to, to buy or sell routinely is really um, you know, adding additional funds or rebalancing your portfolio. So again, you got to stick to a, a strategy and a plan, be well diversified, and try to avoid unnecessary trading. Yeah, that's right. So if you're going to be successful and remain successful with investing for your future, you need to stay disciplined and patient while pursuing a well-diversified investment strategy. You know, it's easy to get fooled into thinking that you're making wise decisions by reacting to recent news or your emotions, when in fact, what you're really doing is just market timing. So avoid these five areas of danger, and you'll be miles ahead of the majority of investors of course, if you need help in implementing a discipline strategy, um, you know, based on these principles, then give us a call. We'd love to help you or talk about those issues. Yep. And that leads us up here to our question of the week. Yeah, this question has to do with uh, the stock market. And the question is, is how do you think the stock market is going to do for the rest of the year? Oh, great question. Yeah. yeah. Right, right, wow. Right. <clears throat> well, I think... Uh, yeah, I think got a chance of going up. I think it's got a chance of going up unless we like dip into recession, then it could go it down. Could, could, could go down. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Could be so, one or the other. Yeah, so yeah, nobody knows, right? Exactly. I mean, people try to predict this all the time. We actually saw a study. It's been a couple of years now that um, the the uh, market forecasters and economists are wrong more than they're right on these forecasts. So you see a headline that says, "Hey, market's going to take off," or "Market's going to drop." Don't make decisions based on those. No one knows. Um, obviously, we, we started off here in, in 2019 uh, pretty solidly, but um, that's coming off a very difficult 2018 year. So it's based on earnings of companies. No one knows what the earnings are going to be You know, six to nine months from now. It's what the market's trying to figure out, and there's a lot of factors that come into play so exactly yeah so nobody knows don't try to time it and uh you know don't don't worry about it just have your discipline strategy have a long-term plan and stick to your plan and uh you know if markets are down then it's an opportunity to buy more but um yep. yeah don't don't try to figure out what the next three months are going to be don't stress over it there you go all right and that leads us up here to our next topic and that is can you retire on a million dollars yeah, this is Chris Hogan out of the Ramsey organization. And certainly, Steve, by anyone's standards, a million dollars is a lot of money. Sure. And uh, if you sat there and counted it, it um, would take you 12 days to count it. Wow. <clears> I one, guess maybe one dollar ones, bills. I guess, okay. yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, by hundreds, I could, yeah, you know, I don't a know. A little bit quicker. Still take a while. It would take a while. And, uh, you know, it literally weighs a ton. So it'd be very heavy to yep. have a million dollars. So, uh, you know, uh, Chris, uh, they did a study and they've talked to a lot of millionaire folks and, you know, a million-dollar nest egg was the measure of retirement planning success and has been for a long time. It was considered, you know, enough to enjoy a dream retirement and, you know, leave a, an impressive legacy. But lately, the image of a million-dollar nest egg has begun, 
has begun to fade some. I mean, now it's common to find articles like how to get by on a million dollars in retirement, you know, complete with advice about tapping your home equity or retiring overseas to make your savings last. So, so what's the deal here? I mean, you know, is it is a million dollars actually enough to retire on and get through your golden years? And so we're going to break it down. It depends on a couple of factors. Yeah, that's right. And so Chris Hogan here, he says a million dollars almost gets the job done. Almost. For the average American. That's right. Yeah, because research shows American families close to retirement age spend about $61,000 annually on household items, um, you know, including food, you know, housing, clothing, transportation, other lifestyle expenses, along with health care. So, you know, how much will these folks need to save in order to cover the cost without income <clears throat> from work? That's the question. So don't worry. You know, the math, this isn't a math class, but we'll give you the answer. To cover $61,000 in annual expenses, you need about $5,100 per month. So if you want to retire 10 years from now, you'll need a nest egg over $1.3 million, a little more than a million dollars, about a third more than a million dollars, mm-hmm. in order to <clears throat> to draw that $61,000 per year. And keep in mind, that number may change, you know, depending on your rate of return, the withdrawal rate, and the inflation. So the short answer is a million dollars almost gets it done for the average American family retiring today um, to pay their bills, but doesn't quite Not get quite. you there. That's right. So is it possible to retire with less? And, um, you know, some folks listening out there may be, hey, I'm nowhere near a million. Maybe you're uh, close to retirement. Your nest egg is coming up a little bit short, but don't give up. There's ways that you can cut your expenses and make a smaller amount of savings work without giving up your home or <laughs> moving overseas. So housing, for example, is by far the largest expense both uh, before and after retirement. So any savings there will go a long way toward filling your, your savings gap. So if you look at the uh, some of the statistics from the Bureau of Labor, 55% of homeowners between the ages of 55 and 64 still have a mortgage. It's more than half the people. That's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. <clears throat> so, uh, you know, the mortgage payment is usually around a thousand bucks, and that's twelve thousand dollars per year. And we're not even talking about maintenance and repairs and other housing costs. So, one of the things we really stress is, you know, go into retirement, you know, mortgage and debt free. Absolutely. Yeah, you've heard us say that many times. You know, I mean, paying off your mortgage before you retire is a game changer. It can dramatically reduce your expenses in retirement by thousands of dollars each each year and, you know, even $1,000 or more a month. Um, so if you can find some other places to lower your expenses and your nest egg, you know, doesn't have to be as big, but be careful about cutting it too close, you know. I mean, other things like travel, taxes, time, um, <clears throat> time can affect how much you actually need to make ends meet for 30 years or more in retirement. So cutting, you know, with a scalpel before before re- cut with a scalpel, you know, surgically before reaching for a chainsaw mm-hmm. is basically what they're saying here. But paying off your mortgage is a key it to, is. to having some flexibility in retirement. That's right. So how much do you need for retirement? And and so, <clears throat> you know, you may plan to only spend 40000 a year um, or you may, you know, be used to an income over a hundred thousand with no plans of cutting back in your golden years. So there's no wrong answer for what you need to retire on. It's only your answer and you got to do a budget. You got to know what you need, um, to spend, um, in order to figure out how much you need for retirement. 
So, um, you know, it's up to you to define what your retirement dream is. Some people want to do a lot of traveling. Some people are happy just kind of being at their their home. And, and so it really depends on how much you specifically need. But some of the factors that we're going to talk about here do affect how much you need to, to save. Yeah, I mean, you know, the first question about travel is, you know, where do you want to travel and how often? You know, I mean, many Americans who are approaching retirement, they dream about seeing the world and making time for hobbies and relaxation. But, you know, right now, Americans 55 and older only spend about $2,700 a year on entertainment each year. And so if you're looking forward to a lot of travel and retirement, $2,700 won't get you very far. You know, I mean, think Paris. You know, it's going to be Paris, Texas instead of Paris, (laughs) France, right? Right. Um, but you know, so, but you have some options. I mean, you can boost your retirement savings. You can reduce your spendings in other categories. You can keep a part-time job, you know, to fund your adventures, but yeah, being out of debt is going to make a big difference. So, but you got to be realistic about what you plan to do in retirement. Yeah. Another thing that really is a big deal, Steve, is how many, uh, how much taxes will you pay when you pull money out? So uncle Sam, obviously when you take money out of a 401k or traditional IRA, you're going to be taxed on that. You know, you're not going to have Social Security and Medicare tax, but you're going to pay federal and state tax. So um, if you're planning on spending that 61000 that we talked about earlier, you're going to need to, to pull out about 78000 in order to get a net of sixty one. You're going to have to pay your taxes and so forth. So you know, because you're withdrawing more, you'll need to have more during retirement. So if you're retiring 10 years from now, you know, you could need, you know, a million seven potentially in order to get that 78 out in order to net 61. So, but if you've been doing another thing that we talk about a lot, it's going to help your tax bill. Yeah, that's right. If you're saving in a tax advantage account, like a Roth or a Roth 401k, um, a Roth IRA, either one, you know, that's a whole different ball game. With Roth, Roth options, your contributions are made with after-tax dollars, but that means it's going to be tax-free when it comes out. And so you won't owe income taxes on any or most of the money you take out of those accounts. And so I don't know about you, but, you know, um, that just took a high, a big sigh of relief whenever you start thinking about how much money mm-hmm. you're going to need in retirement. Because if you don't have to pay taxes and, you know, you won't be paying Social Security taxes, um you know, that's going to that's gonna make a huge difference in how much money you need in retirement. So I would focus on the Roth, the Roth 401k, um, you know, consult your tax, you know, professional. But uh, if the more money you can put away in tax advantage vehicles like a Roth is going to really give you more flexibility and open the door to, you know, having more options in retirement. Yeah. So we talked about being debt free, mortgage free. How much are you going to travel uh, how many how many taxes? What tax rates are you going to pay? So um, those all come into play. <clears throat> and the last one here, Steve, which is a big one, is how much longer before you retire? And remember, these the sixty one thousand dollar number that we were talking about. Someone that's retiring soon. If you're looking out decades into the future, uh, let's say twenty five years from now, and you need that sixty one thousand in future dollars, you're going to need to have about two million dollars saved up. And, and that's assuming that you were saving some in a Roth or, or a Roth IRA as well, which is tax-free. So, um, you know, don't have $2 million, don't worry. You got some time to build that up, but you got to make it a priority. You got to start today. And remember, the earlier you start investing, the more time 
um, that your money has to grow. And, you know, if you feel like you're a little late to the game, don't panic. You still have some time uh, to make a difference. Um, you know, you can meet with um, uh, an advisor, certainly go out there and take a look at that. Dave Ramsey has a lot of material as well, but um, it is possible to retire as, as a millionaire. Some of the statistics that uh, that Chris found when he went out there, he, he has a book now, uh, it's called Everyday Millionaires. It's the largest study ever on millionaires, and they found that 79% of millionaires did not inherit any money. Wow. <clears throat> wow. So four out of five. Oh, self-made. Folks, that's right. On top of that, one-third of millionaires um, they talked to, they never made six figures in a given year. Yeah, so you don't have to, you know, make a ton of money to retire a millionaire. The, millionaire. The, that's right. One, the way they built it is is over time. I mean, the longer that you have, the better chances that you can do this. But you have to have some knowledge. You have to take personal responsibility for your finances. You've got to consistently invest in your four hundred one ks and your IRAs year after year after year. Um, you know, it's it's in it's in your hands. There's actually eleven million millionaire households in America right now. That's a lot. That's over 5% of the, you know, American households are millionaire households. And a lot of people do this through, you know, businesses. They start their own businesses, but many times it's just through the stock market. And um, so anybody can invest in the stock market. You can go to a, a Swab or a Vanguard or a Fidelity or a financial advisor and get into mutual funds and do this. But you have to do it over time. Exactly. Yeah, it takes discipline, takes time, but starting early is a key too. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're a young person, you want to start making a full contribution to your Roth IRA and to your 401k, get your match, and then just let time do its work. Invest in the stock market, let it grow, and leave it alone, and, and leave it alone. you will retire a millionaire. <laughs> yeah, be diversified, but don't try to time the market. Exactly. It does not so. work out well. All right, great topic, and that leads us up here to our final thing, and that is the prescription of the week. Yeah, so I had lunch with the CPA this week, and uh, and I've seen it in the news media as well. People are disappointed in their tax refund. Yeah, they've gotten more um, pay on a weekly or monthly basis, however they're paid, but it didn't. It's not showing up in their tax refunds. Yeah, they had right? less withholding during the year, and and now their tax refund is less in. That's making some people disappointed. For that's sure. right. That's right. So there are some things that you can um, you can certainly change your withholdings to to make everything balance out. But there's some other things to look at: funding an HSA, healthcare savings account. We've talked a lot about. Four hundred one k's. You can put up to nineteen thousand dollars if you're under fifty, and twenty six thousand dollars if you're over fifty. Yeah, that really helps your tax bill. That is a chunk of change. You you can do some other things. You can bundle your giving into one year. Um, you know, the standard deduction is pretty high now. If you're over the age of 70, you can uh, gift your part of your RMD. So there's some tax strategies. You certainly need to consult a tax professional on this. But, you know, take a look and kind of look back at 2018 and see what you can do differently 2019 that can help your tax bill. Yeah, there are a lot of things you can do. There's still a lot of levers out there you can pull that will lower your taxes. So make some smart decisions. Make sure you're taking advantage of all the tax vehicles that are out there, like you mentioned, John, the HSAs, your 401k and, you know, qualified charitable distributions for uh, folks over 70 and a half. Um, so get started on that. Don't wait till the end of the year. Um, you know, do some planning ahead of time so you can do it all during out all throughout the year mm -hmm. to position yourself for a better tax situation next year. So good topic. And that leads up to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Check us out on our website, moneymd.net. 
And email us your questions at info at moneymd.net or give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor.